Welcome back again to what is still being referred to as the Tim Graham Show. Uh, for now, we are still undergoing our soft relaunch here uh, with Matthew Fairburn and Jonah Bronstein. Uh, the Tim Graham Show uh, brought to you by CTBK, Shampoo Travis Bisson and Kirshner, joining us uh, for this ride as we figure things out. Jonah Bronstein uh, coming to us from the floor of his closet, apparently. Um, but hey, we're all trying to find out uh, things. I mean, I got, I'm throwing stuff behind me so you don't see the construction going on behind uh, Muhammad Ali and Gail Sayers. Uh, Fairburn's the only guy who looks like he has his uh, stuff together. Well, I try. I have to cover up for my other deficiencies. Well, we have so much to talk about. Uh, and we're going to be joined later on in the show by Wyoming offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach uh, Brent Vegan. He is uh, the guy who coached Josh Allen at Wyoming, and uh, he's going to talk to us about Josh Allen's hot start. Also, uh, give us his thoughts on Carson Wentz, uh, who he also coached at North Dakota State. Uh, we're going to get into um, – the, the issues that have been facing college coaches also through this pandemic, uh, the Mountain West Conference on Thursday night uh, announcing that it's going to play an eight-game schedule starting on October 24th. So Brent Vegan's a happy man today uh, as he has a team to coach. and uh, But mostly, and for obvious reasons, we're going to talk to him about uh, Josh Allen, what he sees in Josh Allen's development and uh, we're going to hear from Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas to give us his thoughts on the Bills from a betting standpoint. Interesting game this week. The Rams, a tough opponent. Uh, the Bills are favored by two and a half points. Um, Joel Staniszewski likes the money line for the Bills, and he will explain why uh, there is some actual mathematical value, uh, not just his hunch about being a Bills fan or anything like that. He says that the smart play – uh, is because uh, there might be a little uh, uh, algorithm or analytical uh, error uh, that Vegas has uh, made with uh, this week's uh, odds so far. So um, sounds like we could have used Joel this time last week. We probably should have. Uh, we probably should have gotten in touch with Joel before we went to uh, Seneca Niagara and and uh, dumped some money. Uh, I have to confess. Uh, if you had read the athletic story uh, that Matthew Fairburn and I did from the Seneca Niagara Casino Sportsbook last uh, Sunday, uh, you would come away with the conclusion that I broke even roughly. And well, that you were pretty savvy in doing yeah, so. that I won on the first touchdown of the game. Well, it really it didn't matter that it was the first touchdown, but I had uh, – what was it? A twenty dollar bet to pay one hundred and ten or whatever that uh, somebody other than X Y Z was going to score for the Bills. Uh, it turned out that I lost that bet. Uh, I went to the counter and I was told it was a loser. I protested. I said no. Um, I'm even forgetting the guy's name. Uh, the fullback. I'm sorry. I'm I'm having a Reggie Gilliam. Huh? Reggie Gilliam. Reggie Gilliam. Yeah, yeah. I said, wait. Reggie Gilliam scored a touchdown. Well, they did some research, uh, and they came back with the pregame wagers. Uh, Reggie Gilliam was on the board as somebody who could score a touchdown. My bet was anybody other than those who were listed as uh, that you could bet on 
Reggie Gilliam was somebody you can bet on. In fact, you were, it would have been voided eventually, but on the, on the board before last week's game was whether or not Pat DeMarco was going to score a touchdown for the bills. So if Pat DeMarco, uh, who no longer is on the roster, uh, then yeah, Reggie Gilliam was on there. I didn't see it. I think I think Isaiah Hodgins, who's on injured reserve was also on there. So it was Isaiah Hodges, new child, uh, his newborn baby was uh, <laughs> available. On, for Basically betting. it was a sucker's bet. And the way they listed the odds was to trap a sucker like you. And I was a sucker and a loser. Yeah. And, but to be fair, it was after we filed and when we filed, we thought you were a winner. We thought you had broken even. Ethics, that was the, I, the world we existed in was that right. you were a winner. And I thought you might even be able to talk yourself into being a winner that maybe, but they don't really operate that way. If they what do they not, scan is, there's no negotiation. If what they scan says you're not a winner, then you are a loser. It's like arguing with the bank. I mean, uh, yeah, you think of a casino and the frivolity and the booze and the smoking and the guy and the backslapping and, you know, coming from my days in Vegas, you know, the hookers walking around and everybody, you know, it's like just, you know, debauchery all over the place. Uh, everybody, you know, rules are out the window. Uh, make it up as you go. Everybody's having a good time. But when it comes down to the actual money aspect of it, the casino yeah, you may as well be dealing with the U.S. Treasury. Uh, so oh, I think they, down down to the penny. I was going to say down to the nickel. By the way, a weird thing happened when I did cash out. I got change. I was paid off in nickels, which I didn't like. How many nickels? It was like probably ten, right? Fifty nine nickels. No, I think it was like something in forty five cents, and it was all nickels. I mean, no quarters. Well, this is the problem with legal sports gambling if you had a bookie there's no way he would have remembered to put reggie gilliam on his prop bet odds right and you can probably negotiate with a bookie there's no negotiating with the casino and the nickels also if we had mobile sports betting i wouldn't have to worry about nickels at all that's true jonah bronstein we haven't heard much from you um other than for us to uh point out that you have a lot of shirts hanging on uh, hangers behind you um, New. Would you like me to change my shirt? Because I could do that. No, I think that's fine. Um, are you uh, waiting tables tonight, or <laughs> I'm caddying later. <laughs> um, so Jonah, we haven't seen much of you lately. I got to spend all day with Matt on Sunday. Uh, we miss you. Uh, we miss your face. Uh, what's uh, well? How about this? Let's talk about college sports. This is in your wheelhouse, uh, right along with the Mountain West Conference coming back. Uh, last night, the Mid America Conference is still lurking out there, hasn't announced anything. What are your thoughts on UB playing some football games this year? Well, it's expected that the MAC, the Mid American Conference, will make an announcement today. That's what's been reported. It could happen maybe right now while we're recording, or even possibly before this recording gets out to our widespread audience. But sometime today, tonight, I would think the MAC will announce a plan to return playing probably similar to what we've seen the recent announcements from the Pac-12 and the Mountain West playing a six or seven game schedule starting sometime after Halloween that first week in November because at this point the Mid-American Conference is the only FBS league not playing to play or that hasn't announced a plan to play this fall they were the first FBS league to postpone their season to the spring 
And at the time, it seemed like there was financial incentive along with the health and safety situation that possibly they would have fans in the stands in the spring, that possibly there'd be more primetime action games on ESPN. A spring football league might be a better television product to sell and that there'd be a better season, potential for a better season in the spring. The dynamics of that haven't really changed financially, but if you're the Mid-American Conference of schools in the Mid-American Conference, if you don't play this fall, you basically look like you're an FCS program playing in the spring with all the other FCS programs. And the players and some of the coaches were very outspoken after that Big Ten announcement last week that they want to play. They don't want to be left out. And I think there's fear that the perception, the damage to their perception of the league would be worse than the financial burden of trying to play this shortened schedule now in the fall. And it really does, uh, you know, Mid-America Conference is almost like the uh, the little brother to the Big Ten because of the way, the geography really. It's where the schools overlap and the kids who aren't quite good enough to get into a Big Ten school generally, I think, end up in the Mid-American Conference. And uh, the Mid-America Conference also likes to think that they would steal the occasional recruit from a Big Ten school because they're recruiting from the same uh, states and regions. So, yeah, I can understand the, the Mid-American Conference really being tied to what the Big Ten's going to do and looking shabby by comparison based on what the Big Ten's going to do as opposed to, say, what the Pac-12 or the SEC. I mean, I think the, the Mid-American Conference can kind of get away with um, putting blinders on with that. But when the Big Ten right there in your own backyard does it, uh, then uh, the Mid-America Conference uh, has to also. Um, but the big difference being yeah. the financials. There's a, uh, you know, a high cost. I don't know exactly how much it costs, and it's kind of changing over time, but to do regular daily or even semi-daily COVID-19 testing is expensive right now, and it gets probably is going to get less expensive as time goes on. I think that was part of the initial calculation. So the Big Ten has a lot of money and has been able to get the machines and the technology to do daily antigen testing. And it's unclear whether the Mid-American Conference will be able to do that to acquire the test, when they can acquire the test, and how expensive that's going to be and if they can afford it. What do you think that these developments, Jonah, have? Uh, what kind of impact do they have on basketball, do you think? I think everybody knew that basketball was going to be played. There was an optimism there that uh, things would be a little bit more under control. Uh, from a, the pandemic standpoint, uh, crowds, uh, arena security, campus safety, the whole thing. But now that football is reversing course, it, I think it adds to the optimism that we're going to have a pretty smooth basketball season, that this, this will help uh, college administrators, athletic departments put together uh, a type of season for basketball in which we don't have to worry about stopping and starting or delays or any kind of, and this is granted that football doesn't experience some kind of disaster, uh, which is when you're talking about college kids, who knows? Football, I wouldn't call it a disaster, but football is not, the college football is not going as smooth as the NFL. There's games being postponed almost on a daily basis. Right. There's outbreaks at almost, at least in almost every conference that's trying to play right now. They haven't gotten this under control yet. There's a belief that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and these schools that are starting next month will have better luck because they're doing the daily testing as opposed to weekly or three times a week. Uh, as you mentioned with basketball, I think it, to the point that you made, uh, perception-wise, football starting and not 
facing a disaster, not being canceled outright will help the perception for basketball and the belief that basketball can be played. But I think there's a major difference with basketball and that the NCAA can kind of control the situation from the top down. And they have, they've set a start date where every division one program is going to start practicing and every division one program can start playing November 25th. And if you remember with football, the NCAA was, did not have the power to do that. And I think if the NCAA had their choice, they probably would have moved football to the spring as they did with FCS and, and division two and division three football, junior college football is being played in the spring. And with basketball, they're able to set the calendar for everybody. And, and there really isn't a pushback from the big money football conferences and programs saying, no, we're going to do what's best for our institution and our league, not what's best for the country and the student athletes and everybody uh, in the sport itself. Yeah. So a lot going on uh, here uh, when you want to factor in the Mid-America Conference uh, this fall and football uh, probably coming back uh, at the University of Buffalo. Uh, we're obviously going to talk about the Bills and their game Sunday against the L.A. Rams, a, a much uh, better opponent. Although uh, the Dolphins showed a little something. Maybe the Dolphins aren't, uh, aren't a joke, um, but we, and we could talk about that too. Um, Sabres, really nothing to talk about there. But how about uh, the Buffalo Blue Jays? Um, there are some people around town that uh, or seem to be really excited about this, that uh, Buffalo has a playoff baseball team. Look, I thought it was interesting for maybe a, a game or two. Uh, the first time it was on TV, I wanted to see what Salem Field looked like with these new lights that were made for broadcasting purposes. So when it would appear on national TV, yeah, I'll check that out. Let's see what the ads are. Let's see how they have it uh, uh, tarped off with the different seats and where they're putting the bullpens and just curiosity. But my interest in the Buffalo Blue Jays, uh, any more so than the Colorado Rockies or the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, really evaporated pretty quickly. Uh, where are you – any thoughts, you guys? Do you care about the Buffalo Blue Jays? Watched only really a handful of games, and it's usually when they play against the Yankees because they're on TV. Um, not that I watch every Yankees game, but it's more so a curiosity of the Blue Jays are at home, they're on TV, they're up against the Yankees. Other than that, sometimes I have a hard time figuring out where the game is even. It's like, oh, the Blue Jays are playing the Yankees, so they'll be on local TV. And I'm looking at the stadiums, and they're not really showing – tons of shots and things like that and you're just watching the game and sometimes it's hard to figure it out but um I think the only interesting aspect of this to, for me is what happens if we get to a point where the bills allow fans in the stands now are what is happening with baseball are they going to try a bubble of sorts for the playoffs or are they going to continue playing at home stadiums because neutral sites, right? I don't know exactly their plan, but playoff games are going to be played on neutral fields. So they won't even have the option of putting fans in Salem Field. To me, that was no, always... I think pretty soon, I think they're gone. You know, the Blue Jays will be gone. And that was like the missing ingredient for me for this to like take hold as something that would capture the hearts of Buffalo sports fans. If they could have gone to these games, you'd probably have a lot of new Blue Jays fans. You probably still have some, but... 
I think to your point, Tim, after the first game or two, I think it really lost its luster. It's not as if they were following, you know, people are following their hometown team. If you're a Yankees fan, you didn't become a Blue Jays fan because they played games in Buffalo. If you're a Red Sox fan, same thing. If you were a, a nomad and a wandering person with no baseball team, maybe you jumped on. But um, without the in-person experience, I, I think the emotional attachment is is minimal for some people. Yeah, I've just found it interesting the way that the media has really, and I get it, it was something to do, especially in the summer when we were dying for some sort of sports to cover. Training camps were, uh, everything was at arm's length. You weren't allowed to, uh, you know, attend the games or attend uh, practices at St. John Fisher like we normally did and the whole thing. Um, so we needed something to cover. And the fact that the Blue Jays were playing games in Buffalo was a novelty for me. Um, but I think that there was, you know, television also. I'm not just talking about the Buffalo News, but the television also was like, hey, there's, this is going on. You guys need to know about this. And we're going to keep reminding you, hey, the Blue Jays won tonight. Um, and I, I don't know. To me, it was a waste of, uh, of, of precious airtime, especially if you're a sports director uh, in today's uh, TV world, when you get three minutes, and I think I'm being generous with that amount of time, if you, you get this finite amount to get uh, to talk about local sports and to, to waste any of it on the Blue Jays to me was, I thought it was strange. It, to me, it, it, I don't know. I don't know. I've always even thought that covering the Bisons uh, would be tantamount to having a beat writer covering Darien Lake. Um, it's something to do. I mean, you don't really follow the player. Yeah, you might follow the players. There are some diehards who follow the players. Um, but there the, be the occasional con- interesting feature story. Yeah, or the concept like of a minor league team is to not win or lose games and to cover it as, uh, you know, so-and-so uh, pitched this many innings. Okay, I get it. And then the bullpen got the job done and they came away with the win or they blew it. You know, sometimes the, the minor league team doesn't – they're throwing a guy out there because he has to be in that situation. And uh, he's, you know, he's maybe training, uh, he's, he's recovering from an injury. I mean, there's all kinds of weird things. So you go out to the, to the baseball game as an event, just like you'd go to Darien Lake, um, just like you'd go to Art Park. And uh, I just always thought it was strange to have somebody, you know, w- would the Buffalo News send a, somebody out to Darien Lake to say, yeah, you know, the tilt world uh, just wasn't working today. Uh, it didn't, uh, it was broken down a couple of times. Uh, you know, they, there was a gear issue. Um, you know, people really, you know, you, you really got to let the fans get their money's worth because it's built to work. I mean, the Viking ship kept swaying. I mean, that was great. Viking ship was great. Well, they do uh, but, send stuff out there for the, um, to get the smiles, right? Right. I don't know that they do that anymore. I think the format of the new Nobody's owner, smiling. They don't do, no, nobody's smiling. Yeah, it's 2020. It's nobody's, All right. Yeah. I, I don't want to go on that rant, but I just, you know, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's strange and it's, but it's a strange thing too. And it's only going to be here once. And, uh, yeah, it'll be one of those weird things we look back on and be like, man, that was the amount of things that needed to happen for the blue Jays to end up playing their games in Buffalo. There were a, a lot of things. Five that, different places had to not want them. Right. And Canada had to say no. Um, the pandemic itself, um, you know, all these things that Pennsylvania that said no. Maryland said no. The MLB almost didn't 
play. You know, um, they almost didn't make it through the first couple of weeks of the season. So there yeah. was there was certainly an odd element to the it even happening to begin with. But once it happened, it was like, all right, what is this like? Oh, well, it's a baseball game. Um, that's not on TV, mind you. Um, most of them, unless they're playing against, you know, it's not a local market. Uh, so it was a, it was an odd little couple months stretch, but Hey, they're in the playoffs. Yeah. Our Buffalo Blue Jays are in the playoffs. Um, so this uh, Bills game on Sunday in Orchard Park against the Los Angeles Rams, a uh, team that was in the Super Bowl just two seasons ago. Um, obviously a step up in competition from the New York Jets and probably from the Miami Dolphins, but the Bills have some things going in their favor. They get a couple of linebackers back. It looks like uh, at least Matt Milano. Um, and Matt, I don't know if you have any update on Tremaine Edmonds. I think he was in the red practice or the red uh, no contact jersey again on Friday. And, um, and the fact that the LA Rams – uh, are making back-to-back East Coast trips. I mean, that is not easy to do. They did not decide to stay out into the Eastern time zone. They went back to Southern California. So um, what are your guys' thoughts on this uh, on this matchup on Sunday? It's um, – t- the point about them traveling is, I think, a, a big one. It's, it's one of the reasons why I think the Bills have a, a bit of an edge heading into this game. The Rams wanted to stay out east for both of these games it's part of why they i think had the schedule set up the way that it did usually you have to request that from the league and then something covid related prevented them they probably couldn't find a place or whatever to practice and um so they had to go back and forth the fact that they're planning for one thing and now have to do another uh this is a good team not a not a perfect team uh that the rams that is so I think Milano and Edmonds play a pretty big role here. Both of them are questionable heading into the game. The injury report came out a few minutes ago. The Bills got destroyed by Miami's tight end, Mike Jasicki, last week. Tyler Higby had three touchdowns for the Rams last week at tight end. They used a ton of play action. On only five uh, catches. Yeah, this is a team that is going to use play action, hit the middle of the field. They've got Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. Uh, They're going to use a ton of misdirection. All of those things scream that you need your two linebackers that play matchups against some, some of these guys and who have the discipline to hang with, you know, guys. And I think the fact that they've played together a long time, um, you just saw some of that against the dolphins that, that there was something missing and provided they're both back. I think the bills have a pretty good chance on Sunday. Do you have any thoughts on the uh, point spread, uh, the money line, uh, the and you, then you we'll we'll see how you uh, if you have, you're in agreement with Joel Staniszewski later. So you don't know uh, what Joel Staniszewski thinks right now. Uh, so give me your give me your your wagers here. We'll see uh, we'll see who's smart. I would say my guess would be that Joel is referring to the fact that it's what a. In some places, it's a one-and-a-half spread, and in some, it's a two-and-a-half. And I don't know exactly what the money line is, but I think if you're going to be betting on the bills to cover that spread, then you know they're not going to win by – it's going to be really rare that they win by one point. I think they win the game by four points maybe, somewhere less than a touchdown but more than a field goal. 
put it that way, 24-20, something like that. I, I think they can slow that offense down enough. It's a it's an interesting predicament for the offense. Josh Allen, you know, he avoids sacks really well. Aaron Donald doesn't let guys out of his grasp all that easily. Um, he's had some interception luck, Josh Allen has, and Jalen Ramsey's pretty good when his hands are on the football. So if he can avoid some negative plays, do just enough, I, I think the Bills win, but not too comfortably. Jonah, you want to uh, be a degenerate with us? Well, this is the type of game I think under normal circumstances where I would like the Bills' chances playing at home early in the season against a West Coast team making that trip. It seems like they've done that a lot of times even when they weren't as good, when the Bills weren't as good as they are this year against teams that were very good and stolen a game in September. What I would wonder, and maybe I'll ask Matt this, he's been, you were at the first home game. Do the Bills get that same energy boost from playing at home without – the crowd there and does that change uh, you know does that change the dynamic for both teams does it make it a little bit easier for the Rams to make that trip and play on the east coast does it make it a little bit harder for the Bills to get up for this game without the fans in the stands I think it definitely makes life easier on Jared Goff Uh, that's a guy that I could see in a hostile environment like the Bills fans can create it's a tough deal for uh for a quarterback, any quarterback, and certainly Jared Goff, who relies a lot on the communication with his coach um, and, you know, the changing the plays sometimes when they get up to the line of scrimmage, that element is gone, to your point. I think that's a, a really good point. I think some of the home field advantage shows up in other ways. It's like Tim mentioned, you know, a, a team making a second straight trip to the East Coast um, in this sort of, you know, coronavirus NFL, the hoops you have to jump through to travel. Um, and it, it's not as comfortable maybe as it once was where you can't leave the hotel room. Um, you know, you're, it's, there's some anxiety involved in traveling, I think, for some people. Um, many of us haven't even traveled, right, when, since this whole thing started. And then there's the stadium, too, the wind. Um, and just being comfortable where you are. Um, the Bills have played here before. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think the home field advantage isn't what it was. I don't know how much that's impacting point spreads or not, but I do think it helps the communication of the Rams' offense, which is such a big part of what they do. And probably, certainly, the Bills have – the energy factor is only one part of the home field advantage. I think the other part is – messing up what the offense has going and they're not going to have that from from their fans and I think that's going to make life a little bit easier for Jared Goff and Sean McVay and here's a potentially overlooked aspect of no crowd or low crowd noise because it can only reach the 70 decibels and I'll ask Joel Staniszewski about it Uh, we saw it uh, at the end of the game on Sunday in Miami Uh, garbage time touchdowns Um, you don't have a, a crowd there, whether it, you know, the quarterback can operate pretty much uninhibited from a noise standpoint, whether you're the home team or the road team. So uh, maybe that helps on the backdoor covers uh, a lot more because the, the team, the other, the defense is in prevent and yes, they, they, they would like you to not score. They're not just giving you the end zone, but when you're in prevent and with no crowd, the whole, 
you should be able to pick a defense apart, move down the field. And so you could get, uh, you know, it, it, it helps uh, eliminate a lot of confusion uh, at stressful times. And as much as yes. it's made over the Bills having an advantage in cold weather at home, I think you see more examples over the years of early season September games when the crowd is just really juiced up. They've probably been there since Thursday. That you see the, the 12th man, if you will, have its effect on the game when the weather's warm a little more than when it's cold and maybe it's harder to bring that same energy. Yeah, I think the Bills miss more than most teams um, by not having their fans in the stadium. And this is the last home game before Thursday night football against the Chiefs. They go on the road next week to play the Raiders. Then they're on the road against the Titans. And then they have that Thursday night game at home against the defending Super Bowl champs, one that I'm sure everybody had circled on their schedule as a game where they were going to be there since the previous Thursday getting tuned up and ready to go. Um, for a primetime game against the Chiefs, there's a outside chance, I guess, that that fans could be there. You know, they haven't totally eliminated that possibility yet, but if they're not there, or even in a small number, uh, it's a totally different uh, atmosphere, to Jonah's point. Uh, one thing I did want to ask you guys, uh, were you aware um, that Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants? Tell me with more. Roots in, yeah, with Roots in Amherst, CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, Jonah, and now access to CFO-level resolutions from CFO Solutions Plus. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716 716- 630-2400. Once more, that's 716-630-2400. Shampoo Travis Bison Kirshner, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Big thanks to CTBK for joining us on this journey uh, and its continued uh, support of uh, what is still for now being called the Tim Graham Show. Um, you know where I might be able to follow them on Twitter? Would it be CTBK45? Yeah, at CTBK45. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, they uh, – that's uh, – I mean, that's really all you need. You got the phone number, call them up, ask for Gene, tell them Tim sent you. Um, Who's your favorite number 45, Tim? My favorite number 45. The 45th president? Oh, sure. 45. 45 is not a number that just jumps out at me. Wasn't that Michael Jordan's number? Yeah, yeah, that's briefly... – I, I was trying to think. I couldn't even think of a 45. There is that, which, which most people don't. They would say that's a lesser version of Michael Jordan, so they wouldn't be big fans right. of 45. Well, Joe Licata would say immediately Michael Jordan is his favorite 45. Um, but what we're going to do right now, we're going to bring in – Wyoming offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and associate head coach Brent Vegan. He's going to talk to us about Josh Allen and um, maybe Jonah during this break. Um, you can go see if you can find uh, all the great 45s. Sure. Not the I mean, records, but actual 45s. And I've got one at the end of the show, we'll, we'll, we'll vote on the greatest 45 of all time. 
I think I'll go change my shirt and I might pop back into that interview a little late. All right. Yeah. Jump in there. Even if it's just for a few seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you need. All right. Joining us now all the way from Laramie, Wyoming is Brent Vegan. He's the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and associate head coach for the Wyoming Cowboys. Brent, thanks for joining us. Oh, great to be on with you. And Brent, uh, tell us, uh, or at least my always my curiosity, other than a pay, pay grade uh, situation, what does the associate head coach do? I, you don't really – this isn't baseball uh, – Craig Bowles, uh, Craig Bowl is not going to get uh, ejected. Uh, so what, what's the role of the associate head coach? Well, uh, at occasional time when a coach might leave to go recruiting or something like that, you maybe break the team down. Um, no, I don't know. I certainly, I think there to be an advisor to him. You know, I, I what it, what's been become apparent, um, maybe more so than ever to have the, at least the, the order of, who would be the next in charge, I think is probably more appropriate in these times than it's ever been before. So hopefully we don't have to cross that road, but I think it's just a fancy title more than anything. Do you think then that there would be a peaceful transfer of power if, uh, if that were to come to be? Uh, peaceful. I, I wouldn't be a good situation. Uh, we need coach here, but <laughs> we've worked together long enough that uh, I think we, at least I have a good sense for what he'd be looking for, all that type of thing. Well, of course, we're going to be talking to Brent Vegan about Josh Allen and his hot start. Uh, He coached Josh Allen at Wyoming, but uh, some congratulations are in order. Uh, Thursday night, late Thursday night, especially East Coast time, uh, the Mountain West Conference announced that its 12 teams are going to play an eight-game conference schedule, uh, the third FBS uh, conference to reverse course and say after – canceling its season or postponing until the spring, I guess, that they will play in the fall. So starting October 24th, uh, you got a month here, Coach, uh, to get going. Uh, first off, congratulations that you're going to play games. But what's this been like for you uh, in, um, in, in trying to, to keep the guys ready? And, and now you got to prepare for some games. Well, it's been a, a real mix of emotions. Going back to August 10th when we were – we were shut down. We were in a really good place here um, at the University of Wyoming here in Laramie. Um, our guys have worked really hard, really, for two months leading up. And unfortunately, our conference wasn't maybe as a, as a whole wasn't in that same position. So navigating that, that next month was real challenging. We, we made a decision to start bringing our guys back, um, even with school being online at the beginning of September. But that was more in the minds that we were going to play spring, winter, something along, you know, something along those lines. And then all of a sudden, really last Tuesday, um, things started moving where we were maybe going to be more in line with the Big Ten's timeline. And, and lo and behold, that's that's where we're at. So we've had the last oh week and a half to kind of set our sights on okay, if, if things things go on October October twenty fourth, what let's accelerate everything as much as we can, and that starts with a full-fledged practice uh, tomorrow and you know our guys are hungry ready to go and it'll be great for for all of us to get back to some normalcy as far as just football on the field. Well for our purposes anyway it's been a, a benefit that you have had some extra time to watch some film because Josh Allen is off to you can't even just call it a hot start it is an 
a historic start from NFL standpoint, and uh, I broke down a lot of the numbers this week. It's not just from a start. Any two back-to-back games of regular season, whatever, or even carryover from a season finale into a season opener, any two-game stretch, incredible uh, rareness uh, for what he's been able to accomplish 729 passing yards, leads the NFL, six touchdowns, zero interceptions, very impressive, Uh, 70.4% completion percentage. Uh, And then you want to throw in that he's also rushed for 75 yards and a touchdown. Very few quarterbacks have done this uh, in NFL history. It's only happened, uh, this is the 19th time, and then there are some quarterbacks that did it multiple times, so very few have have, uh, pulled this off. Uh, Brent, what have you seen from Josh Allen, and especially with the context that you have of his growth and having seen him come in from Reedley Community College? Well, maybe I'm loading up the question too much. Let's just enjoy these two weeks. What have you seen so far from Josh? Well, I, what I see is, is Josh has, hasn't been satisfied with, with being a top 10 pick, with uh, becoming a starter as a rookie. He's and it's no different than when he got here. He's had something to prove for a long, long time, going back to being an unrecruited kid out of Firebaugh, California. Um, he chose to go to Reedley. He chose the, the path with, with more resistance, to be quite honest. Um, he believed in himself. And same thing when he came here. This you know, maybe wasn't the ideal choice when he set his sights uh, on finding a Division One program, but it really aligned well. And I think the same thing ended up happening for him in, in Buffalo and him kind of finding that common ground in the pre-draft process and, and Buffalo moving up to take him. I, I think he found a place that really fit him. And, you know, getting a chance to be in contact with him a little bit this summer, he got on a couple of Zooms with our quarterbacks and our even our whole freshman class. You can just see a continuing uh, mat- maturity, um, a, a continual growth, a determination to Fix, it, fix the flaws to keep getting better and, and watching them these first couple weeks, you know, um, I think it's just maturity. It's, it's uh, knowing that he doesn't have to make every play while he still tries to at times, um, but just knowing when to check down, uh, knowing when to slide, even though he hasn't slid every time. Um, you know, you can, you can once uh, yeah, it was, it was, he needs to work on that, but it was, it was a true slide. Um, so it was, yeah, yeah. So I, I just think uh, getting better, uh, being there for his team, doing everything he can to to give his his team a chance to win is what he's about. And that you got to keep growing to do that. And and I think that's where he's, you know, where he, where his, his work is shining right now, um, and that determination is really uh, showing through in these first couple of games. Brent, what have you? I think you know this as well as anybody, the sort of, he's sort of a polarizing guy uh, in terms of how people talk about him publicly. And certainly that lead up to the draft, he had a ton of eyes on him and you guys had a ton of eyes on your games because of him. And there's criticism that comes with that. There's a overanalyzing that comes with that. It followed him into the NFL, but he seems to compartmentalize and deal with it. And find the right motivation from it, but not let it consume him. Um, what do you notice about the way he's dealt with that aspect of being this polarizing guy, this guy that has to deal with criticism from all angles and 
seems to, to plow through it just fine. Well, I, I know going back to his two seasons he played for us, uh, you know, 16 was this meteoric rise. You know, we, we as a program and he as an individual in some ways came out of nowhere and, and, and had some real moments of um, success that, that Wyoming hadn't uh, had in some time, uh, beat a couple ranked teams and, and won our, our division and all that. And it was a large, large part because of the way he played. And then all of a sudden, the, the question about him entering that 17 draft posed itself. And, you know, he chose to come back for, I think, a lot of the right reasons. But then that 17 year, while all those eyes were on him, I think that year really, um, I guess, set him up for success dealing with criticism, if that's, if that's even a phrase you can use, because it didn't go as planned necessarily that year. Um, there, was, there was some bumps in the road. And... You know, you, you kind of saw it happen there where he was, okay, I got all these eyes on me. It isn't just the, the local uh, the local media scene. It's it's uh, eyes from all over the country. And it happened the summer leading into that season and ultimately as as our, our games went on that year. And he came through that um, really well. And, and I, I think, you know, he's at its core, he's got great character comes from a great family and, and believes in himself. And I think when you believe in yourself more than anything else, that outside noise is, is just that. You hear it, I'm, I'm certain he hears it, but it, he doesn't let it uh, bring him down. You know, he's gonna go out there the next game and prove everybody wrong, just like he has tried to, I'm sure going back to when he was in high school, even maybe before that. So, um, it's, it's, he's not unique in that regard, but I think to, to be successful at the NFL level um, at quarterback, you need to have thick skin. You need to have that belief in yourself. And I do think that's what he really possesses. We're in conversation with Brent Vegan, the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and associate head coach at Wyoming, uh, the alma mater of Josh Allen. And Brent, um, he's a, I went out to Fireball. I did a series of stories uh, from Fireball with his family, uh, the people close to the football program uh, who saw him from Pop Warner, his Pop Warner coaches, in fact. Uh, I interviewed them. And one of the themes that comes up is that he always dreamed of being an NFL quarterback. Well, la-di-da, so did I. You know, uh, every kid uh, at some point uh, has dreams uh, of you know being the the staff ace of uh, their favorite baseball team or an NFL quarterback or the starting goalie in the for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, when he arrived at Wyoming from Reedley, it still I think mathematically was a long shot. Or if you took a look at you know the chances of this happening, I mean, Wyoming, how many NFL quarterbacks has Wyoming produced? I think none, maybe maybe a couple. I, I know that there were some days during the whack when they, there was prolific passing numbers, but that didn't necessarily translate to the NFL. So I guess when, Brent, did you recognize in him that this guy's dream could be reality? And, when, and I guess maybe when did he think that too? Because I think he says that he always knew it, but that's also, you know, he's, he's still a teenager when he comes to you. Right. You know, uh, his, his, he came to us in the spring semester, and, and he certainly flashed, his ability flashed. You know, you knew that uh, 
talent-wise, um, you know, he had been blessed. And that was starting to all take shape with, the, with his physical growth. Um, but he had a long ways to go in, in so many different ways. And then he played, uh, I think it was 13 plays, our second game of the, of the 15 season, and broke his collarbone. But there was a flash there. I think that he said, okay, well, there's something here. And, um, but that injury was a setback, but it also allowed him to, him to take a step back and really say, okay, to, to, to be what I want to be, if that's what he was thinking. I certainly was hoping he would just become a productive starter the next year. But for us, um, you know, he had to go about his, first his physical training in a different way. And he did that um, through that time. Um, he soaked things up a little bit differently than he had. And then, you know, where it started maybe to click for, for us as a coaching staff was that next season, you know, uh, and it wasn't immediately. He did some great things early, but you start putting this body of work together over maybe seven, eight, nine games. And we were, um, I think, seven and two after nine games. And, and, and certainly he wasn't our only guy. We got a whole host of guys off that team that are playing across the NFL, but, you know, I think beyond his physical ability, what was apparent was that the competitive fire was there in, in a really hard to measure uh, level, you know, and he'd worked so hard and I think he gained that respect of his teammates. He was elected a captain. So all those intangible things were coming to the front along with, you know, his tangible qualities, uh, his talents. So, I, you know, I, I, the whole going out early after his third year wasn't something that really occurred to me. And then we, we play our bowl game, and all of a sudden, um, I got a text from Carson Wentz that said, is your guy good enough to leave right now or something along those lines? Because you know, Carson's um, people wanted to get him, Josh, in their fold. So I, it hit us, you know, smack in the face right there in December of, of, of 16. And, and like I said before, ultimately he chose to come back. But that – that whole fall, um, it was an incredible rise for a guy in our league who was playing, um, you know, playing a full season for the first time. This wasn't uh, maybe even a Derek Carr that had played several years, and you know, at Fresno or you know, a lot of these guys at at smaller schools, it takes a while. But he was one year into it, and, and you know, he had done enough that fall for you know for people to take notice, and you know, it's. He's just—he's a unique. He's some of his qualities, while um, aren't specifically unique. I think the collection of his intangibles with his talent puts him on a pretty small, pretty small scale. And it should be mentioned, uh, Brent Vegan coached Carson Wentz at North Dakota State, which is why that connection gets made. And let me ask you this: I know Matt's got uh, more questions, uh, but since you just mentioned Carson Wentz. Uh, that comparison gets made a lot. Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, and I think partially size. Um, you look at the fact that you coached both of them. You get asked about these guys a lot. Um, and I'm willing to sacrifice my own credentials here. Is that a lazy comparison just because you happen to coach them both uh, and you as a polite uh uh, representative of Wyoming, uh, answer the questions nicely, and, and we'll try to put something together for the journalist. 
is are they legitimate or should they not be compared at all? Well, I think the comparison in this day and age when uh, quarterbacks come from nowhere, essentially, right? North Dakota State, Wyoming, I, I think they're immediately going to get dumped in the same bucket as opposed to guys that are coming from more acclaimed programs. So I think that's fair. I do think the physical characteristics are very similar. Um, I know in, in knowing both of them, they're different. Uh, they process things different, um, but they're both you know, incredibly competitive. Um, they're not going to let anybody tell them they can't do something, you know, and I, I think their intangibles from a competitiveness, um, from their foundation character and all those things are very similar, but there's, they process things different. And, you know, I, I think they were both, I think both fortunate to, to land in situations where um, early on they handed the keys and, and would be given support in a, um, a pretty quick fashion, you know, and, and obviously things are a little bumpy for Carson right now, but I trust that he'll come out of it. It's, it's his way, I guess. So yeah, maybe a little bit uh, lazy, I suppose, but there's definitely similarities beyond just the fact that, you know, coach bowl and I are associated with him. When you think about these, these first two games, like you said, kind of a, a unique chance to watch um, your guys in the league. Usually you're busy game planning or breaking down tape from your game the day before and don't get to sink your teeth into NFL tape. What have you seen? I mean, like Tim mentioned, this is an unusual two-game run from, from Josh. In terms of jumps from when you had him or maybe even jumps from you know clips of his rookie season and second year that you've seen, mechanically um, how he's commanding the offense what type of things have you seen from him that way where he's made improvements uh, maybe the biggest areas of improvement for him well you know the the 70 percent plus completion I think is reflective of of making all those check down throws that he should he hasn't I, I don't think he's missed any of those if any you know I, I think he's missed some hard throws in particular maybe going to his left um, but he hasn't missed the ones you know I know in, in, in college, you go through a course of the season, both those, those years, and there was a handful of, you know, that, that thing, you know, maybe that's 2 3% from a completion percentage that you just miss a throw. And I, I, I think what I see mechanically, um, there's just a real calmness to him, and that's a lot of things. That's, um, I'm certain he feels comfortable with what he's seeing in, in processing all of that, that's such a, in a different place than it's been his first two years. Um, so he's, you know, he's surveying the field um, differently. He's not escaping the pocket uh, maybe as radically as he, he maybe would have as a younger quarterback. Um, you know, I mean, there's been several times in his first two games where it seems like he's had all day back there, and that's a credit to, you know, Certainly, him trusting his old line, but his old line, you know, blocking their tails off, I guess. And and you know, and he still made some really spectacular plays where you say, like, you know, maybe it's the addition of a few receivers last year. Certainly, the addition of Diggs this year, where he's trusting his guys too, and they're making some plays. You know, that's all part of uh, success in the passing game. It's it's having guys on the other end that can make plays. You know, and, and it seems like they've done a good job in Buffalo of really growing that receiving core over the last couple of years. And, and you know, as it 
passing unit, I guess. They look much more complete, certainly, than they did when he was out there as a rookie. We're in conversation with Brent Vegan. He's the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and associate head coach at Wyoming. Uh, Brent, I'm not really sure how to phrase this question. Um, so if you can maybe meander with me as I, as I try to pull it out here. But, uh, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, uh, how do you, especially as somebody who knows Josh Allen and his fieriness, uh, his, his propensity for hero ball, because at some point in his life he's made that play and he thinks he can do it again, uh, and maybe he can, but sometimes he gets reminded and smacked back down to reality. We haven't really seen too much of that uh, through these first two games. And yet you have a quarterback who's on a nice run and he's feeling it. What is that sweet spot between letting maybe not just a quarterback as an offensive coordinator, a guy who played tight end himself, uh, any athlete, what's that sweet spot of go do it? You know, you got, I mean, you're, you're feeling this, you're on this run versus keep your cleats on the ground here and don't do anything stupid. You know, let's play within yourself. But yet sometimes, sometimes these guys just get into this otherworldly place and you want to experience it, whether you're a fan and, and probably even if you're a coach. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a real difficult question have this simple answer I, I think you want your your athletes to push that limit push those limits the best they can understand where that line is and I think um, you know we in Josh's two years with us I mean there was a lot of breaking down his first year so that his second year those some of those mistakes didn't occur um, understanding when that scoreboard, you might be down 21. There's not a 21 point play out there, you know, taking what the defense gives you. I mean, you could go on and on with the cliches. Um, I did hear Josh say relative to that one third and eight run where he ran, jumped over the guy, ran, ran over the guy, you know, um, he understands he can't do that all the time. So that in itself is something for him to say that, you know, um, you know, he was trying to get a first down there and in those Picking and choosing your battles is maybe um, what I think he's learning. You know, I think it's I think his two carries in that game were that run where he jumped over a guy, ran over a guy. Ultimately, the ball didn't you know whatever happened. And then he had the one long run where he slid. I mean, and so you know, I think he's he's learning, uh, and that's what I that's that's that continued maturity that you see is um, he's 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 one of eleven now. He certainly say he's the most important of one of one of the 11 but he's got guys that he can lean on um on that in that on that offensive unit and that's something that when you're referring to an individual pushing those limits um i think that's what you got to understand is you still need to rely on the rest of the guys out here you can't be the guy trying to make every play and and that's um development of a roster that's development of him just individually I think understanding um, you know he talked a lot about to our quarterbacks this summer about down and distance and understanding um, that principle understanding field position when and where to take your chances so he went through this whole thing with our quarterbacks and you could tell um, he's just processing everything differently um, way more 
ahead of his thoughts than he would. I, I'm sure he looks over and sees that down a distance and he's calculating his risks a little bit differently than he would have maybe just going out and they're playing as a rookie. So, you know, I don't know if that answered your question necessarily. It's complicated, but I, I think it's a, it's a limit. I'm sure they want him to push, but know where those boundaries are. And I think he understands those boundaries much more now than he maybe did a couple years ago. What have you noticed about, and maybe it hasn't changed or maybe it has, but you were at North Dakota State for a long time and you see um, in the last few years, there's Carson Wentz, there's Josh Allen, uh, now there's Trey Lance. Um, These guys from smaller programs that seem to be on the radar um, sooner um, and in the spotlight sooner. Obviously, it's always been a case of you find football players where you find football players. But what do you think Carson Wentz and Josh Allen have done to maybe change the minds of the athlete when they're picking a school um, and saying, hey, I can go to Wyoming and get the same coaching Josh Allen and Carson Wentz got, or I can go to North Dakota State, and if I'm good enough, they'll find me. Do you think there's been a a shift at all in how um, maybe the recruits are, are thinking about their futures and where they choose to go to school? Well, I wouldn't maybe say collectively, but I, I do think kids, if they really, as quarterbacks, um, if they really truly want to make their way, um, it's finding a place where they can thrive. And I, I do think maybe that pool is becoming a little bit greater. Um, you know, you still see tons of kids, quarterbacks transfer because they probably pick, pick their place based on where everybody thinks they should go as opposed to what fits them best and that's something when we recruit our guys that we're we're really trying to just instill in them is hey we think you can become your best here um, because you really fit what we're looking you know and if more kids thought that way and um, didn't think simply I want to go to the best place or the best perceived place but I I do think more kids are understanding that they can thrive in, in all kinds of places and if they thrive Ultimately, the, the NFL is going to find them. You know, I think it has spiked where more kids are coming out of obscure, I guess, places than ever before. And, and you know, I, I think these two guys, Carson and Josh, certainly helped, helped uh, lay that groundwork a little bit. You know, I'm looking it up here, and uh, you ended your thought uh, just about 10 seconds too quickly. I also wanted to mention that Brent Vegan – recruited Easton Stick to North Dakota State. So let's just take a quick look at, I'm trying to look at some histories here. Carson Wentz, the first quarterback drafted out of uh, North Dakota State, uh, and only, and Josh Allen, the only, or I'm sorry, Easton Stick, right? I mean, why isn't he on this? He was drafted in the fifth round in 2019, so he should be on this list too. Josh Allen, the first quarterback out of Wyoming to be drafted. I'm looking to see if, if anybody's even – how many have even made it to the NFL? Okay, so <laughs> uh, the, only other, the, only, the only other Wyoming player to throw a pass in the NFL was Jim Kick. Uh, and for a younger generation uh, here uh, watching, as you can see, I have a little Gale Sayers paying a little tribute. I'm going to start, you know, alternating some things back there. But uh, so I, I remember Jim Kick. Uh, Jim Kick was a running back who, you know, he was uh, back on those Dolphins teams with Larry Zonka and Mercury Morris. So he's the only guy to have thrown a thrown a pass in the NFL out of Wyoming prior to Josh Allen. Um, so Brent, it, it, just to Matt's question, um, 
you're recruiting guys. You've recruited three NFL quarterbacks uh, as uh, at North Dakota State, at Wyoming. Um, I guess this is a chance for you to, you know, to, to tout yourself here. But I guess when you go into a recruit's living room, you have a very unusual um, resume that you can show them to say, hey, uh, come on, come on with me. I can, I, I've, I've at least uh, gone down this path a few times. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's, there's a couple of things that play in it. I, I, I think in recruiting, uh, we kind of have a pretty pretty good idea of what we're looking for. The type of kid that, that can uh, essentially come out of nowhere, so to speak, and, and, and climb to those heights. Now, we certainly we haven't been perfect by any means, but um, to, to do that, you got to find a kid that's probably – far from a finished product coming out of high, coming out of high school, but certainly coming out of his junior year of high school. Um, so you're, you're probably looking for something that's missing. And sometimes what's missing is, you know, a kid played three sports. He just hasn't been this year round quarterback. And that would be the case in both Josh and um, Carson's story. You know, they were three sport kids. They weren't circuit quarterback circuit kids. Um, you know, and I think we have a system um, both, what we ask the guys to do physically and then how they, they learn a system and apply principles in the protection game and the run game that not everybody might get. Um, certainly the concepts we throw in all that's, you know, relatable to NFL, but it's more how they learn the position and what they're asked to do is, is along the lines of what um, the NFL quarterbacks asked to do. So I think there's, there's things along the way that they learn and pick up to prepare them. Um, but I know this, um, that resume or whatever is only as good as the next guy's coming through. So, you know, we have a couple of good young, young kids right now, and, and I hope that we can add their names to that or one of their names to that story, whatever. But, uh, no, it's been, it's, it's been a, um, it's been fun. And, and to see those guys get to that next level is, is something else. Um, that's for sure. And to round out, uh, I didn't want to leave North Dakota state. Uh, the only other, uh, player to throw, an NFL pass from North Dakota State uh, prior to Carson Wentz was uh, defensive back Ernie Wheeler in the 1930s. Uh, so a little bit of a break in between uh, North Dakota State <laughs> NFL passers. All right, I, I got to ask you one more, and we'll let you go. And I apologize uh, for keeping you long here. You got a season to play all of a sudden. Um, what's with the fumbles? Uh, between your two NFL quarterbacks, uh, what happened uh, with this instruction uh, at North Dakota State with Carson Wentz and Josh Allen at Wyoming? Why did you guys did you never practice with a wet ball? Um, what what happened there? I can't take credit or blame for that. I don't think. Uh, I don't know. I, you know what? I, I think in Josh's case, um, in Carson's probably what I've seen. It's it's, it's probably just trying to hang on to plays too long more than it is their grasp of the football, maybe. I don't know. I, Josh has two fumbles in that first game. He probably got a little loose with, you know, they're both on runs, obviously, as opposed to getting hit uh, from a passing perspective. I We work ball security like a running back would, so I don't, maybe they're not doing that still. I don't know. But, no, that's that's something they both would need to correct. Um, that's That's – you know, a turnover is a turnover. The way are you, I are you blaming sloppy NFL fundamentals? I, I'm not saying anything. 
know. I don't know. <laughs> it's something they both need to fix, so I know that much. Hey, Brent, thanks for joining us. Uh, have, have a great season in Laramie, one of my all-time favorite cities. Uh, I used to cover the, uh, the WAC, the old WAC, when I was based in Vegas. I covered UNLV football. I had an occasion to go up to Laramie a handful of times, and what a great town. And I know it can't be easy to recruit there, but when you have a Josh Allen uh, that has gone from Laramie to the NFL, I'm sure it makes it uh, a little bit easier. And uh, it was nice of you to join us. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. And, and you know, I know there's a lot of people that follow the Bills out here in Wyoming. I think they've, they've maybe supplanted the Broncos as the top team. Um, so we're watching closely, and let's hope Josh keeps this run going. All right, thanks so much for joining us, Brent. Thank you. And I'd like to welcome in an old friend of the Tim Graham Show brought to you by CTBK. And that old friend is Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas in a different way, though. Uh, not just on the line. I guess we can't even say on the line anymore. There's no lines, really. It's all Wi-Fi. Right. There's, all, no phone, there's no phone lines. Yeah, it's all coming through uh, the airwaves. Uh, Joel Staniszewski, our uh, friend from Vegas. Uh, he's from St. Joe's. He went to Buff State. And uh, he's been out in Vegas for 15 years now as a handicapper, odds maker, industry analyst. And uh, he's been coming on the Tim Graham show for, I think this is year number five, uh, to talk about Bill's that game. That sounds about right. Betting perspective. Yeah, 2016 was the first year of the Tim Graham show back when it started off on uh, as a Buffalo News production. And uh, here we go. We just keep uh, evolving through the, through the formats. Um, and... Uh, it's, it's good to see you. If, if for those of you uh, who are listening on podcast, you don't get to see Joel's uh, beautiful face. Uh, but there he is for those of us uh, looking at the uh, Tim Graham Show YouTube channel. Uh, Joel, was that on your face before the pandemic? Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick wishes he has had the length <laughs> you have on that beard. Uh, so uh, back in, uh, speaking of St. Joe's, back in my senior year at St. Joe's, I went to a date dance at Maryvale High School with a bunch of friends, and I decided to break dance uh, during the dance, and I blasted my chin doing the dolphin, and there was just blood everywhere. And uh, so I went and got it sewn up, and the, the, sometimes you get a lot of like fat tissue that collects in your scars and my scar is just stupid looking it's like this fatty chin scar so for the past I don't know when high school ended 30 25 years 20 years I've always had facial hair and then uh within the past couple of years I just let it grow because whatever and uh during the pandemic I I, I think I've maybe shaved once so you get a little extra Wolverine fur up top and uh, just letting it go. It's impressive. It's got the great gray streaks going through it. There's a lot of character in yeah. there, a lot of nuance. Um, and I, when we last saw each other, it's been a couple of years, but when we got together at Elmo's and, um, and had a few pops, uh, I, I recall there was a beard, but not like that. I don't think it was as, as uh, advanced at that time. Right. Do you braid it or do you put it like 
do the Lou Albano uh, the rubber band? <laughs> My my daughter likes to uh, put put like ponytails in it so it sticks out and goes all crazy. Um, but yeah, it's usually just hanging out like this, kind of messy and just whatever. The beauty of working from home, you just get to sit around in basketball shorts and a t-shirt and uh, work whenever you want and take naps whenever you want. Right on, man. I'm I'm there. Um, working from home myself, as you can see. I mean, I'm coming. T- to you from this basement here. This is not the uh, uh, 1270, the fan studios here, uh, but uh, I got a little renovation going. We're still in the soft launch phase uh, of the Tim Graham show, soft relaunch phase. Uh, we're going to be doing a whole rebranding thing and uh, um, having, having a little bit more fun with this uh, with uh, Matthew Fairburn and, and Jonah Bronstein too. Um, so Joel, uh, let's get into this Bills game. It's only week three. What do we know from a betting standpoint? What are we comfortable with as we continue to learn not only about the Bills, but really every team in the NFL? So you have to factor in this opponent uh, that also had a you know pandemic limited offseason and no preseason games and it still feels like we're very much in the learning phase, but Vegas doesn't stop posting spreads and totals just to, just because we're learning. Um, and maybe this provides an opportunity to take advantage. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Uh, they were the most sports books put up early lines uh, months ago, so you could bet any of the any of the weeks uh, based upon any feeling you might have, and they've they've come down those those pre-bets, but, uh, you know, these numbers that are coming out are, are still kind of in the wait and see kind of category. Uh, you're dealing with teams that had extremely shortened uh, training camps, no preseason, teams that are, had a really big turnover in players, uh, in personnel, in coaches. So you're dealing with teams that uh, are, don't have time to gel yet, Whereas you look at the Bills, and we're pretty much the exact same team we were last year uh, with the addition of, of Diggs and, and some rookies. But for the most part, you're looking at the exact same team that we had, the exact same coaches. Uh, the personnel groupings is, has been pretty much the same. And I think that's uh, helping to, to have the Bills be and perform as well as they have been so far. So, Joel, we have a two-and-a-half-point spread. Uh, the Bills are favored and a total of 47. And um, I know that you have an interesting thought on the money line here uh, versus, uh, versus uh, betting the Bills and laying the points. Um, right, what are your thoughts, sir? Yeah, so uh, the, the Bills, are you're, you're in the most uh, two-and-a-half around town. Uh, and you're going to be laying 110 to win 100 in any of the sports books. Uh, but if you just lay an extra 20 cents, a dollar 30, uh, you're betting the Bills with no points. So uh, uh, the Bills so far this year, going into Week Three, have been pretty undervalued when it comes to the money line. Uh, that th- that two and a half spread should be closer to minus a dollar 50. Uh, so you're getting that value without even having to lay the points. And with a Rams team that can score as quickly as we can, uh, I think that two and a half points could be a, is a lot uh, to, to lay. 
the Bills had two opponents in weeks one and two that did score in garbage time. Um, and if the Bills are up ahead, you might see that again. Or if it's a close game, again, you, you don't want to be hoping that they win and also hoping that they win by three. Uh, so you, you lay that extra 20 cents on the Bills, and, and you don't have to worry about them winning by three. All they have to do is win the game. And uh, they've been undervalued weeks one and two when it comes to the money line reflecting the point spread. And uh, I would continue to, to bet that if, if, if you're liking the Bills this week. On the line from Vegas, it is Joel Staniszewski from Sloan. St. Joe's and Buff State grads been out in Vegas for a decade and a half as a odds maker, handicapper, analyst. Um, your thoughts on L.A. coming to the East Coast in back-to-back weeks. Now, they returned home uh, to practice in Thousand Oaks, California, and they played Philadelphia, and then they go back uh, to Southern California. Then they're going to come back to Orchard Park. What does that do for you as a handicapper when you're looking at this, uh, when you're looking at all the numbers? You definitely have to take travel into account. So in the course of a week, the LA Rams have traveled 7,500 miles and gone across three time zones, three times now. So that's definitely going to put a wear and tear on them. Their, their body clock is going to be off a little bit. You know, you're playing at 10 o'clock versus one o'clock. You know, it it does not affect, it does not bode well for teams traveling west to east, uh, traditionally speaking. And I know that there are different restrictions in place this year uh, than previous years when it comes to how soon you're allowed to travel or how, what the traveling schedule will be. And there's testing that's going in, in place this year that obviously wasn't in place before. So there's a lot of more, there's a lot more red tape this year uh, than previous years. And when you factor in the, the traveling and the time zones, I mean, I'm guessing that they have a direct flight, but it's still a five hour flight from California to Buffalo. Uh, so going five hours, five hours, five hours, that's 15 hours they've spent in an airplane. For, and you're talking about guys that are six foot six, 300 pounds, sitting on an airplane seat for 15 hours in the course of a week. That's a lot of travel time and a lot of wear and tear on your body. Uh, not even taking into account practicing and playing games and getting beat up for three, four hours uh, on a Sunday. So that definitely affects uh, the Rams. I think uh, hoping that the Bills can catch them maybe being a little tired at the start of the game, maybe wearing out at the end of the game and can use that uh, to their advantage. The uh, total is around 47, but it's uh, been climbing. So I, I don't know. Can you get it at a little bit? You probably can get it a little bit higher, a little bit lower, depending on if you shop around. Um, your thoughts on this total? 47 points, two teams that, uh, well, the Rams and Sean McVay, they have a reputation for scoring. Uh, the Bills, you know, as a, as a Bills fan, uh, you can't just assume, <laughs> right? But certainly through two weeks, it looks like a – potent offense uh, in which uh, it's tough to cover everybody. And it's really the same for both teams. Absolutely. Uh, the Bills uh, have, have shown they can score 30 points quickly and, and the Rams have done the same. The Rams, I believe last year, weren't as good as they were expected to be. Uh, I feel like this year they've kind of turned that around two weeks in and have proven they can, they can run with the best of them. 
and as we know as Bills fans, there's been a couple of games here and there where we've uh, given up really big plays really quickly. And um, think back to any year in any game and think about, uh, you know, the Raiders scoring however many 35 points on that game where uh, Dante Whitner labeled somebody in the end zone about 10 oh, seconds right. after they scored. Uh, I mean, they've been, they've been prone to getting beat over the top. I mean, this is a different Bills team, uh, but you've seen Miami move the ball pretty, pretty well against us. Uh, granted, some of that was in garbage time, and the same goes for the Jets. But when we're in that prevent defense, when we're up by two scores, uh, you've seen the Bills give up, give up a lot of yards and a lot of points. Uh, now, if we're up two scores against the Rams and we give up some garbage time yards and points, I really won't care about that. Uh, but for an overs uh, bet, that's definitely something to take into account that we, we've definitely gotten soft on the back end when, we, when we're up two scores, when we know for the most part that we can recover an onside kick um, and, and secure a game. But for, for two games that we were definitely overpowering teams, it was definitely a lot closer on the scoreboard uh, due to late scores. So it's something to definitely keep in mind when you're looking at totals uh, and yes, you can shop around and you can get a 46 and a half. And uh, if I were betting a total on this game, I would, I, as of right now, I would definitely say take the over. And Joel, it's, uh, you, you mentioned there about garbage time touchdowns. And uh, I wanted to ask you about this from a league-wide standpoint, because I think this impacts garbage time um, in a very specific way. Uh, no crowds at most of these games and in when you do have crowds they're so limited and then the decibel level with the fake crowd noise too uh, so you have these quarterbacks that are able to work their offense without being you know having the crowd on top of them having you know that heaviness that you get when you're on the road maybe it impacts the home team too but how does the crowd impact the the point spread uh, having no crowd because traditionally it's two and a half, three points or whatever to the home team. Um, but I know we've discussed in the past that there are only a handful of stadiums where that really holds true from a crowd noise standpoint, uh, Minnesota, New Orleans, Kansas city, Seattle, probably orchard park to an extent. But anyway, what's your, your take on, can you finding a little extra value because the odds makers are still maybe given the, the two and a half where maybe it should only maybe only be a point and a half or two now. Yeah. Crowd noise is definitely a, a, a big thing. Uh, I believe that the, the maximum they can pump in is like 70 decibels. Uh, and I know that wh whoever holds the current record, it might be the chiefs at like 136 decibels or something crazy like that. Um, you can definitely notice the difference. Uh, and I know that, they pump in extra noise for the fans at home. And I'm guessing that's probably to try to cut out some of the cursing and extra uh, <laughs> stuff that's going on on the field. When you, when you're watching uh, NFL or, or NHL playoffs, when the, the, the sound gets reversed, it's like, you know, that they're uh, dropping some F bombs <laughs> and uh, they, they need to do something quick. So it's definitely going to affect teams uh, when a, a big component of your team is the, is your stadium, is the noise, is the screaming, is the maniacs just going crazy. Uh, it definitely affects 
uh, offenses, you know, those fast paced, no huddle offenses, the shotgun and, and uh, pistol formations where you don't have to do the leg raise. Uh, you're, you're seeing a lot more teams getting caught with um, offside penalties because of the hard counts. And that gives you, that gives the offense a free play to, to chuck it downfield. Uh, so I definitely think that's something that you can't really think about when you're, when you're putting up a line, but from a betting standpoint, when you're thinking about this, this, this collection of things, uh, for example, the Rams with, with the travel and you're dealing with shortened training camps, no preseason with teams with a big turnover of players, you're talking about no extra noise on the defensive side of the ball on those third and shorts, fourth and ones where the crowds are going crazy or after the team scores, you know, you're not getting that extra noise where you see the quarterback, you know, covering his helmet to listen to the play call and people just going crazy in the crowd. You're not seeing that and they're not hearing it. And it's definitely something that can affect uh, the defense negatively because the offense is not having to call a timeout because they couldn't get the play in or, or huddling up when they want to do a, 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 you know, a no huddle. So it definitely can affect uh, defenses. It can definitely affect totals because teams are being able to run more plays. I think the Bills might be leading the league in, in plays per game. Um, and a lot of that is they can just get up and go. I mean, as a Bills fan, I watch definitely the Bills the most. And I've, I remember seeing games where it's like eight minutes into the game and we're calling timeout because we can't get the play in and we can't, uh, you know, get to the line on time. And we're not seeing that as much. So, so it's definitely moving the pace of the game faster. It's, it's getting the offense while, they're, while they have that momentum. They just keep on moving, and the defense is just sitting there catching their breath, and they don't even have time to change out personnel groupings. And it definitely uh, has affected teams for sure. Now, you had an interesting thought uh, we were discussing earlier with the Bills uh, to the, uh, the start that they're off to, the impression that they've made. Uh, the impression that they've made on odds makers and um, the schedule that's upcoming. And uh, regarding those first handful of games, you, you had pointed out that the, the bills could be favored uh, all for through five games, which is something we haven't seen. Yeah, definitely a, a interesting thing. The, the bills as uh, you know, of those first five games, three of them are on the road or were because of the dolphins game. And uh, point spreads can change dramatically depending upon wins and losses, injuries. Uh, if any player starts to test positive, I mean, we're going to see a big, a big move on some of these games. Uh, but we could definitely – the Bills are, are favored this week. They were favored the first two weeks. Uh, coming to Las Vegas the next week, they could be – the, uh, the look-ahead line is the Bills minus two. Uh, Tennessee, they could be a small favorite. Uh, up until we uh, host the Kansas City Chiefs in mid-October. Um, so the first five weeks of an NFL season where the Bills are going to possibly be favored is has got to be something that we haven't seen in, in 25 years. Uh, and so it's a pretty uh, interesting uh, thing to note that the, the Bills are, as much as we always say, uh, this is the year, this is the year, I mean, the Bills are definitely looking two weeks into the season like they can definitely uh, be the team this year to, to go further than, than they have in the past. I'm trying to find it here. Uh, I was, I was uh, furiously trying to put all the different criteria into pro football reference. 
and I think I have the answer, just as you were uh, winding down there. Uh, 1991, the last time the Bills were favored through five weeks in a season. So um, they've been at four a couple of times. They were at four in 92, 93, 99, 2003, 2005, in which that's within the five-game span, not four in a row. But to get uh, through week five and haven't been favored, uh, yeah, we have to go back to the second Super Bowl season. So that's, uh, that's impressive. You, if, you go back, if you go back not that far, uh, five, six years, I would venture to guess that there's been entire seasons where the Bills weren't favored for five games. Uh, <laughs> so we're talking about the first five games with uh, another game against uh, the Jets, another game against the Dolphins, uh, a home game against New England possibly, um, the, the Chargers, the Denver Broncos. I mean, we could definitely see the Bills favored 10 times this year, which is crazy to think. I'm looking, I'm trying to find that also. Okay, so they were favored <laughs> seven times last year, seven times in 2017. Okay, this actually happens quite a bit. But how about this? 2018, they were favored three times the whole year. Um, 2013, they were favored twice the entire season. 2010, twice. Um, 2009, four times. 2007, twice. So you're actually, you're, 2001, once. Uh, so yeah, you're, I mean, you just took a guess and, uh, you're right. It's, there've been a lot of seasons in which they haven't even come close to having, uh, five, uh, five times where they were favored. Yeah, Uh, definitely an, uh, interesting time for the bills. Well, a lot of people, people don't know how the sausage is made. I'll go ahead and make a confession. This is the second time, uh, Joel and I have done this uh, segment because I screwed up the first one. Uh, but this one was much I wasn't better. We say had anything. more. It was we had a we had a stat aspect to it. We looked some things up. Uh, we confirmed some of your uh, theories to be factual. Um, we uh, much smoother, much smoother. I didn't screw up whether or not the bills were favored or not in trying to figure out about the money line and whether or not you want to uh, lay the points. I had a little trouble with that. Uh, so uh, to summarize, Joel Stanishev, <laughs> but I can't get your name right. Joel Staniszewski thinks you should take the bills on the money line. Uh, take the over for now, unless it continues to ask. When do you start getting uh, concerned about the total? Another point. When it yeah, gets like 49 four, or if it so, up, if, it, if, it, if it gets up to like 48 and a half, I would definitely be concerned. Um, I'm also a really big fan of laying the money line because you have the ability to try to hedge a little bit. Uh, I bet the bills versus the jets on the money line, um, and then after halftime or right before halftime, I bet the Jets plus 21 and a half. So you have the ability to get a really good middle um, on some of these games. When you're betting in running, uh, when you're looking at two really high-powered and fast-scoring teams like the, the Rams and the Bills can be, um, you can bet both sides of the game all day long and, and hope to, to uh, really cash out on games like that. Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. I love saying those words because that means it's football season. And uh, for the fifth year in a row, Joel Staniszewski coming on the show to give you his thoughts on the Buffalo Bills from a betting standpoint. Joel, thanks for joining us again. I look forward to, uh, what, 14 more of these. Maybe more. Right, sounds good. Maybe Definitely more. more. Way right, more.
<laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks for the time. All right. Have a good one. All right, boys. So there you have it. Joel Staniszewski says, take the bills on the money line. Go ahead and bet the over. Uh, for now, the number keeps climbing, uh, but he's comfortable with the over uh, for now, given what he's seen from these two teams through the first two weeks. Um, closing thought. Oh, uh, the greatest 45 of all time. Uh, Bob Gibson was the best I could come up with. What, what else is out there? Pedro Martinez is decent. He's he's not Bob Gibson though. I would say I'd say Pedro did have a especially when you factor in the eras and how much better hitters were. He did have a Bob Gibson esque season, uh, one of his Cy Young years. So yeah, he was not, up there. Kenny Easley is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Jonah, you had one. Uh, well, Donovan Mitchell, an excellent current player, maybe not on Bob Gibson's level, but Maybe the best active 45. And Uncle Spliffy, the late Cliff You know Robinson. what? I think that was the other Cliff Robinson. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Again, awarded in 1980. See, Cliff, the Buffalo's Cliff Robinson played on so many different teams. I just, when you said Cliff, I was like, all right, yeah, he probably. Well, I did it first, too, and then I clicked it. And He's probably worn a ton of different jerseys. He was back at school, public school 45 in Buffalo, I think, in 1980. You know, like Cliff Robinson only wore two different numbers, three and 30, even though he played for 73 teams. Uh, all right. Any closing thoughts, uh, fellas? Jonah, how about this? Uh, NBA, uh, we're, uh, I don't think ESPN likes the idea of a potential Miami-Denver final. Not that we're going to get that, but uh, Miami, surprising. Uh, Denver has been uh, a live dog, I think, so far against the Lakers. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, both series are 3-1. I think it's going to be Miami against the Lakers, and that's an interesting storyline. LeBron against the Heat, against Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra, and the team he left. Much was made about him leaving Cleveland the first time, but he also left Miami with some antagonistic feelings towards that organization or that organization had maybe toward the way he left, and that'll be an interesting storyline. And the Lakers seem to be rolling. This could be their third straight playoff series win. That would be a five-game series victory if, if they close it out in game five. But I think that the Heat match up pretty well, and the Lakers would probably be the favorite, but it could be a more competitive series than we've seen through the Lakers' trip through the Western Conference. You know, you raise a good point there about LeBron and the Heat, which, you know, I knew, obviously. But I'm thinking when I said what I did about ESPN's matchup, you had to like the – the sexiness of Lakers Celtics in the final, you know, the market size is obviously the, the tradition, the history of that uh, rivalry uh, and all the different threads that uh, you can pull on from a television production standpoint. But yeah, it's not a bad consolation prize uh, to do, um, you know, to have LeBron going up against the heat. I think, but I think the NBA would really like to see LeBron in those finals. A lot of the other stars and, Star tandems have been eliminated early or didn't make it to the playoff, to the bubble. And whether it's the Celtics or the Heat on the other side, I think for the television networks, our friend Scooter Vertino would probably like to see LeBron play in a few more games. Well, before we wrap up, I want to give uh, our friends from Shampoo Travis, Bisa, and Kirshner 
uh, one more nod and uh, to urge you that if you have any assurance, accounting, tax, litigation support, you need any advice on acquisitions and mergers, call our friends at CTBK. Uh, they are an accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants, and uh, they're available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716 716- 630-2400, Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Thanks to CTBK. Uh, thanks to Jonah Bronstein and Matthew Fairburn for getting us through this uh, video component here, this new thing that we're doing. Uh, this soft relaunch continues, but uh, we'll be uh, rounding uh, into uh, full force Category one, Tim McCain. That was really cheesy. Semi-hard relaunch. Yeah. <laughs> I do yeah. like the uh, the upgrades to Graham Central Station. Well, it's yeah. I'm gonna try to just work some things through. I, I don't. People don't need to see what's going on behind those uh, the the art there. But yeah, you know, Ali Overliston, the classic uh, photo there, and uh, Gail Sayers, uh, rest in peace. Uh, we lost him this week. So I put uh, Gail Sayers there just as a little veneer um, as we continue the, uh, as Jonas said, the semi-hard <laughs> relaunch. Um, we'll see you next week. Um, oh, Thanks again, as I should wrap up, every, every host uh, should, uh, thanking his guests, uh, Brent Vegan from uh, Wyoming, uh, the offensive coordinator of Josh Allen uh, with the Cowboys, and also Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.